Welcome back to Yeah, that can't be good. A rewatch podcast of the sci-fi original series Eureka. Let's get going. Hey, it's Doug with the TV Guide Synopsis, Season 4, Episode 2, Part 2, A New World. A runaway project named Tiny causes a panic in town during the Founders' Day celebration, while Carter, Henry, Lupo, Fargo, and Allison adjust to the new timeline, and a robotic law enforcer is back on the job. Original air date, July 16th, 2010, creators Jamie Paglia and Andrew Cosby, Written by Bruce Miller and directed by Michael Robinson. Thank you, Doug. Hello and welcome to Founders Day. It's a good thing to get together and realize that the past is still very much with us. Especially. Hi, this is Vicky, and I'm here with my co-host Doug Gramley. Hey, how are you? Great. How are you? Doing good. Okay, so we left off on the street. Um, Henry and Carter were still on the street. While they're there, Grace shows up, gives Henry a kiss, and Carter's just looking at her to remind Henry about a speech because he's he's still the mayor in this timeline. Carter looks a little confused. Yeah. He says, oh, she's on the committee because if you remember, they just met in the episode before. Yeah. Yeah. So Henry says, and apparently he's married to her. I think out of all the timeline changes, that's probably the hardest to deal with because he's married to a person he has he doesn't even know her right i'm not saying it's horrible i'm saying he's going to be with somebody 24 7 who he knows nothing about and he has to fake it yeah it's sort of like an arranged marriage i guess yeah except that she doesn't know it's arranged right right and he has to keep it a secret and he has to fake it and he has to pretend he knows everything about her yeah you kind of have to play the part i guess and yeah hope to get enough bits and pieces of information right while this is all going on, Fargo and Joe are walking down the street talking. Joe's telling Fargo that Zane, they never dated, he never proposed. And Fargo tells Joe that he and Julia never even met. She's a millionaire, works for Google, I think it was. So Zane unproposed? I thought proposals were no backseas kind of deal. No, he didn't take it back. He never asked me. You see, we never even dated. So how's your day going? Oh, swell. Remember Julia, my sort of girlfriend? Sure. Yeah, we never met. She works for Google. She's like a gazillionaire, and she's married to an astronaut. I'm sorry. An astronaut. Mm. I mean, other than that, cheery chestnut, I seem to be living my same old life, alone. And then Carter and Allison come across Dr. Grants, who's very disappointed about that. I think this is supposed to be 2010, that there's no flying cars. Yeah, thought he'd see a lot more flying cars and not... 47, uh, I don't know what car, Whatever car, car that was. Were, 40. Uh, thing, but I'm sure it was a little weird because everyone was dressed like exactly how he left. Yeah. yeah. He wants to go explore. Carter wants to keep him in one place, which is logical. And I don't know why Allison didn't come up with that. She was ready to go explore with him. Yeah. Although I don't think Allison's thinking of anything else except staying there with Kevin. Yeah. They're still hoping to fix this, so he doesn't want Dr. Grant to change anything else. Carter goes to show Henry that Grant is there. And Allison overhears Carter and Henry talking about fixing the problem. I know she's wrapped up in her own stuff, but she had to imagine that they were going to try and fix it. But she seems totally shocked by that. we got to get him back where he belongs and fix this. What? There's nothing to fix. Allison, our time journey could have had a huge impact. We don't know if man walked on the moon. We could have changed anything. Yeah, we changed Kevin. I know. I'm not going to lose him again. 
So she's against this, but Henry explains that they can cause other problems like time unraveling, which is funny because that's what Henry did when he changed time to save Kim that time. Mm -hmm. Time was unraveling. So time unravels a lot in Eureka. Yeah. As this is all happening, Tiny comes barreling down the street with Tess running behind him, screaming and trying to make him stop. Tess is convinced that Zane is behind it. Apparently, she kicked Zane off of the team that was creating Tiny. So she thinks he's behind it and that he sabotaged it. Yeah. She asks Carter to look into it. Henry tells Carter that the only way Dr. Grant could have transported there was to manually adjust his marker to work for him. We know that he asked Carter to change jackets with him, not to save Carter, but so he could have the marker. And we know he did this on purpose, and we know that his intention was to leave Carter there. Yeah, he wasn't just trying to bring himself. He was going to leave Carter. He was going to sacrifice Carter in order to to see the future. And he kind of seems to think that's just fine. Yeah. Yeah, he had no, no problem with it. He apologizes and he thinks, that's it, you know, I'm I'm good. It's funny, way back, I don't, I don't know if it was the first season or the second season, when they took Fargo's grandfather out of cryogenics. He was in cryogenics for 50 years. And I remember saying, I don't even remember who the co-host was, I think it was Skip. The actor played the part really well. You could tell he was from the 50s or whatever, yeah. but... He didn't use all these catchphrases, these old-fashioned catchphrases. Yeah. And Grant, he uses them all. You know, it's a crying shame, Jack. Yeah, it is very uh, animated. Yes. Uh, In my opinion, I think he does a pretty good job. Oh, he does, he does. But it's just such a difference between Fargo's grandfather, who they pulled out of cryogenics, who didn't have to use all that dialogue, and you still knew he was from the 50s, and... This guy who uses every cliche that they can find to have him use. So Carter takes Grant and throws him in jail. And like we said, he apologizes, but he thinks that's fine. But obviously it's not. While they're there, Joe comes out wearing a very large uniform. Yeah. And she thinks she's fat Joe in this timeline. Yeah. <laughs> Which doesn't even make sense. I don't even know how that would work. You know what this means? I'm fat. In this timeline, I am the fat deputy. But Deputy Andy comes in and tells her that it's his uniform and why is she wearing his uniform. Grant is really impressed with Andy when he finds out he's a a robot. You know, this is what he was looking for. (laughs) Right, yeah, this is the future that he was expecting. Right, and it's funny when he calls Andy over and he says, I'd like to get a look under that uniform. Yeah, under that uniform, and Andy kind of... Looks at Carter like, uh, <laughs> boss, is this loud? I know. I'm being sexually harassed. Carter and Andy go out to look for Tiny. While they're out, Carter takes this opportunity to kind of quiz Andy about historical events because he's trying to yep. figure out what's changed. Because they really don't know. Other than what's in town, they have no idea if anything else has changed. Yeah. And Andy... Due to the questions that Carter's asking him and other things, like he says, the pollen in his hair and the description of the missing Dr. Grant, he knows that they went to 1947 and came back. Obviously, he's not going to tell anybody he knows, but at least they have somebody else other than the six of them that... That know what happened. Right. And actually, Andy would be a good source of information for the things that they don't know. Right. So they find Tiny in a ditch. 
Fargo and Allison go to GD, and we find out that Fargo is the head of GD. People keep calling her chief, and she doesn't know why people are calling her chief. She thought that they were calling her chief. Right. And then they get up to her office, and she complains that she has no sense of style because the office was just decked out in, I don't know, white leather. And and Fargo, of course, he loves it. And it turns out that it's actually his office that he's (laughs) somehow director of uh, GD. Right. And it's funny that she finds out he's director, but wouldn't you want to know what you were at this point? Right. Yeah. So that means, you know, she doesn't know what her job is, what her title is. Right. And she doesn't ask and she doesn't try to find out. So Carter and Tess talk about the thing again. Yep. And Tess says yes. Right after she says yes, she gets electrocuted by the wiring in Tiny. Yep. And while they're taking her to... I always want to say sick bay because I got Star Trek on my mind. The infirmary, she keeps talking about the red elf and fluffy. We don't know what that is, but. Oh, yeah, I I couldn't get that reference. Yeah, I'm not sure that we know what that is. I'm not sure I want to know what that is. But she talks about the red elf. Did you see? Did you see the big red elf? Yes, yes, we did. He's an awesome red elf. elf. That's when Allison finds out she's medical director. When she asks the nurse for the doctor on call and the nurse says, well, that's you. Yeah. Um, so Fargo's extremely happy because not only is he director of GD, but Larry is his assistant. Yep. <laughs> and Larry takes full advantage of this. <laughs> sure he does. I think that's the best part of the whole deal for him is that he can make Larry do whatever he wants. Earlier when Joe was talking to Andy at Cafe Diem, what they didn't show us was that Andy told her that she wasn't unemployed. She was the head of security at GD. So Joe tells Carter about her job because she's going through Zane's personnel file. And, you know, Carter's like, why do you have access to that? Grant, after he confesses to trying to strand Carter in 1947, wants to help them fix the bridge device. Grace comes in as as Henry's trying to fix the bridge device. And I don't know, he wasn't having any luck doing something. And she notices that the cells of the device were building, the charge in the cells were building. So, and then take into account the old technology, I guess. So I'm wondering if the charge in the cells that we're building causes the explosion. I know it had something to do with the red elf, the red lightning, but... Yeah, I think that was kind of part of it. I think that's probably what was going on was that the red elf was causing the charge and eventually just got to the point where it was too much. And it exploded. Yeah. Okay. Jack goes to Cafe Diem to look for Zane. Because he still wants to talk to Zane about it. His first instinct, and Tess's first instinct, was that it was Zane. Yeah. And he asks Vincent if he knows if he asked Tess any big questions. Now, why would he ask Vincent? Well, Vincent, I guess, is a town gossip. Right, exactly. So Vincent goes all haywire. Now, the the whole town's going to think he proposed because Vincent is convinced that Carter proposed. Why would you ask Vincent when you were just in the woods with... Sheriff Andy, Andy, who probably could have told you without putting an announcement in the paper and engagement pictures. Yeah. Then the scene when Kevin and Allison are sitting in Cafe Diem and Allison leaves the table and Kevin thinks she's on drugs. She's on drugs. Yeah. Dude, she has lost her mind. I know. She won't stop touching me, asking me stuff. She keeps feeding me. I know, I know. It's hard watching your kid grow up. Seriously, I, I think she's on drugs. So Carter thinks Zane rewired the robot. Henry gives them an update on the bridge device, but it blows up as they are talking about it. So I guess Henry thought it was close to being fixed, and and then it blew up. Yep. Fargo tells Carter that an overload of positrons made Tiny go wild. 
and then him and Henry oh, laugh. Funny, yeah. Yeah, because it's it's impossible. Of course, another thing that's impossible that happens. Fargo figures that the scans were wrong, and he leaves to do them again. Henry tells Carter that they might just be stuck in this timeline for quite some time, and they think maybe the bridge device was sabotaged, which gives Carter the idea that, you know, maybe it was Allison. Henry wants to bring Grant in because he's an expert in this technology. Of course, Carter's against that, but they do anyway. Right. And Grant comes into uh, Global, and he's really impressed, finally. He saw a robot, and now he's seeing GD. Right. But he comes in smoking. Yeah, he lights a cigarette. Yeah. That flying, forgot her name. Martha. Yeah, tells him to extinguish it, and he's refusing, or he just, maybe he was just in awe, and he didn't realize he that was, if a flying robot was telling you to stop doing something, you would stop doing it. And he starts asking her questions, and she pelts him with water. Yeah. But he's impressed by the whole thing. He says, I love this place. Carter talks to Allison about the device, and she does admit going to Section 5, but because she's just the medical director, she doesn't have access. Yeah. She couldn't get in. And she asks him what he would do if he could never talk to Zoe again. And he said he would do everything possible to make sure that didn't happen. So, I mean, you know, he sympathizes with her. Yeah, you know, he can understand if she was the one who sabotaged the device. Like, I don't think he would have blamed her for doing it. No, no. And it wouldn't be the first time she did something underhanded for Kevin. And actually not the last time either. Yeah. But the only problem is, like Henry said at the beginning, they don't know what other repercussions them going through time had. I think everybody could live with, not easily, but could live with where they are now. But they don't know what else has happened in the world. Right. Or what will happen. Andy and Grant don't think there was any tampering with the bridge device. Grant thinks a stream of antimatter protons may have overloaded the system. They're positrons, right? Yeah, I don't know what that means. Well, it's the same thing that Fargo said. Yeah. So Carter remembers that Fargo said the same thing about Tiny's malfunction. He still believes Zane is behind it, but Henry says that if Zane was able to figure this out, he wouldn't be doing it as a prank. He'd be getting a Nobel Prize. Right. Neither Henry or Andy believe Zane is behind it, which leaves Carter nowhere, and he jokingly mentions, now I have to find a red elf. Yeah. And, of course, Henry looks at him like, why didn't you mention that before? really? Yeah, Yeah. why didn't you say that before? (laughs) So Henry explains that, Elf is short for emission of light or positronic lightning, but it sounds bad. Yeah. I mean, I've seen images of red red lightning before, I think, just during storms around the world. So it's not a made-up thing. It's yeah, a it's, a, thing. it's a real thing, I think. As they're talking about it, um, the red elf hits and striking at things and people. Yeah. So they think this is a project in GD, and they can't find any projects that would cause a red elf. Henry and Fargo discuss the possibility of a whitelist project, which we've never heard before. And Jack also says, oh, great, you have a name for it. Yeah, apparently it's just so top secret that uh, there's no record of it. But in order for there to be a project started like that, the director would have to approve it. And the problem is that Fargo, if he did approve a whitelist project, he approved it in the old timeline. So he has no memory of it either. Actually, the old Fargo, not the old timeline. Right. I guess they said it's a DARPA project that the head of GD would have to approve. Yeah. Carter, you know, he asked Fargo, if you were to approve something like that, where would you put it? And Fargo says Section 5. He doesn't know where to look, but then Carter remembers the way Larry reacted to them being in the certain area of Section 5. 
Yeah. So he figured Larry's trying to protect something. They go down to this door and they figure this must be where it is, but the door wants a password. And Fargo doesn't know the password, but Carter's like, what would you use? Yeah. Dougie the Vampire Slayer. We all know he has a thing about Buffy and... Sarah Scar- Michelle Geller. Sarah Michelle Geller. <laughs> they find the experiment, but it's kind of in a one of those labs where everything's closed off. You know, you're looking through a window. Yeah. While they're discussing it in Fargo's office, Tess comes in screaming at Fargo because she just found out about the whitelist experiment and she's the head of Section 5. So they're trying to figure out how to shut it off without going in, because if they go in, they'll get killed. Right. But if they can't go in, they can't shut it down. So Carter, being Carter, suggests a kite and a key, you know. Right, yeah. Which (laughs) ends up being what they they do. And Henry says that kind of makes sense. If they can get the charge to go to one side of the lab, then they could drill in the center of whatever this thing is. They could connect something like, a, what did they call it, a dump cord? Yeah, basically, I guess they're trying to reroute the electricity, the current, into the bedrock. So they have to shoot basically a cord into the conductor and then drill into the bedrock. That would kind of help the uh, yeah. the electricity. Andy volunteers to be the lightning rod, which is a whole different Andy from when we first met him, when he had to weigh the pros and cons of, can he die? Can he get hurt? Yeah. Before they go in, Allison tells Carter that she found out that he asked Tess to move in. That was the thing. Tess sacrifices some part of her tiny experiment to build a shield for Andy. Carter only has 74 seconds to shoot the dump coil with a bow. How do I get the... Every time you say dump coil, it sounds... It's over. And drill a hole in that base and attach this cord to get the electricity to go into the base. Grant volunteers to drill. I don't know that I would trust him in there with me, but I guess if I died, he would too. Yeah, that's what kind of Carter was was getting at, that he wasn't sure. Yeah. That was a good idea, but he said that he, he spent his life, you know, he might not understand everything that's going on here, but he did help build it. So, you know, sort of taking like a responsibility, like this is our vision and he's going to help protect it. Right. And he also says electricity doesn't change. Yeah. But so my question here was, and I should have gone back to look, when he's saying all this, where's Tess? Is she up in the lab? Yeah, I don't think she's there. Because he's kind of saying all this. Like, Yeah, I didn't didn't see her. Okay. She might not be in that place yet. All right. Everyone does their part, and they finish just in time to correct the situation, but Andy gets fried. Yeah. And this is the last time we see this version of Sheriff Andy. And I don't know if you remember, because I know it's been a long time since you watched this. It's kind of a spoiler, but no, not really. This actor doesn't play Andy in future episodes. Yeah, I kind of remember. I guess they must use this accident to say they couldn't fix his face and <laughs> they gave him a yeah. new face. I'm pretty sure this is the last episode we see this Andy. He was good. The other Andy's great. But I think if this one stayed to the end, he would be just as good. Yeah. Because he was really good. Joe is still moping in the sheriff's office because I'm going to go sit here because this is where Zane asked me. To be. <laughs> yeah, does make sense. She tells Jack that Andy needed a time wipe and a memory reload, but he'll be fine. But I do think that this might be his last episode. I could be wrong. There could be maybe one more, but I think this is the last one with him as Andy. 
Back at Cafe Diem, Carter and Tess discussed their moving schedule, but they don't want to talk about it. She's tired. He's tired. They're going to talk about it tomorrow. Henry comes to tell him that the bridge device is dead. They're stuck in this timeline. Mm-hmm. They discuss how they're going to tell everybody. You know, Joe wants to tell everybody right away. But Allison says there's a military protocol that prevents them from telling anyone. And the first time I watched it, I took that at face value. Yeah. And it probably is true. But then, you know, knowing how Allison didn't want to go back to the other timeline. Do you think there really is a military protocol? I think so, because Henry was on board. Henry kind of agreed right away. I think that's where he actually says that it's it's dangerous if people knew that there was an ultimate timeline. So, yeah, so I don't think she's making it up. I didn't think so the first time, and I kind of really didn't think so this time, but they almost made it look like she was. I don't know, when everybody was talking about telling everybody, just the look on her face, it almost seemed like for a second I thought, oh, maybe she's making this up. I don't know that they would check on Allison, but I think if it really wasn't a military protocol, they'd be able to figure that out. But they do say that if they tell anybody, they could be arrested for treason, right? Is it treason? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. So we're stuck in this timeline forever, apparently. Yeah. (laughs) And that's pretty much the end of the episode, unless we skipped over things that you wanted to talk about. No, I think that was everything. Okay. I think, uh, you know, take some time getting used to everyone's new role. Right. Okay, you're going to finally get a week off, but we'll be back in a week with episode three. And I think episode three is the first appearance of Will Wheaton. Yes. Yeah. I think so. So we'll see you later. All right. Bye. Bye. This new hickey work, can you believe it? I'm trying to make things square. It's a crying shame, Jack. Yeah, I thought we were square. Okay, DC, tell us what's next. Join us next time for season four episode three of The Rage. Bye. Please remember to follow us on our Facebook page, yeah, that can't be good, at facebook.com backslash Eureka Rewatch, or on Twitter at Eureka Rewatch. Links to information discussed during our podcasts will be added to our website at eurekarewatch.com. You can also listen to our podcast on Podbean. If you'd like to send us an email, please email us at eurekarewatch at gmail. We would love to hear from you. And we're now also available on Google Play.